Sling Hader is a junior at California State University Fullerton. He studies business administration with a concentration in accounting and he secured a career with PwC and Deals Consultant Associates after graduation. Born and raised in Southern California, Salim has shown great initiative and plans to graduate with a master's equivalent at the age of 20, spearheading the TEDx program at his university and acting as a director of professional development. He determines to help students of all backgrounds have their voices heard and their dream job positions actualized. Kind and thoughtful are his adjectives that can be used to describe him, and he aspires to create a long-lasting program to impact help students beyond graduation. Tap in. What's up, everybody? Welcome to season number three of Campus Cuts, episode number two. Today, I got a special guest. I got a public speaker, um, a man that's avid in business, a man that continues to utilize his platform to not only empower himself, but the people around him, um, a very unique individual who is always about um, the craft and idea of storytelling, merging businesses, and continuing to elevate to the next level. Uh, I want to welcome Celine to the show. What's up? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Man, dude, um, just want to say thank you so much for the podcast. Thank you for even reaching out. Um, I always have had you on my list, but I didn't think that you would be um, available until time after. But so when you hit, when you hit me with, oh yeah, I want to be on the podcast, I was like, oh wow, wow, okay, great. <laughs> no, absolutely, man, and and I'm glad. I'm honored to even have made that list. It's, you know, I always like looking out for these sort of things. Obviously, public speaking is my get-go. I'm sure Tanaka's going to ask me about later on what it is I'm involved with on campus. But, uh, you know, I, I love these sort of things. I love being able to go on a platform, talk about myself, what I do, uh, maybe share a few thoughts. And I always enjoy the conversations where these go because it always ends up making some fond memories for me. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the power of podcasting, you know, um, just a, an audio form of um, and showing the nuances and the narrative of a person that some people might not get. Cause you know, of course, you know, we got the so we got the short form of social media, um, which everybody is so quick to make assumptions. But then I feel like with this, um, with this idea, uh, this just this idea of podcasting, you're able to truly see a person for who they are within the span of 30 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour two maybe two, three, four, like Joe Rogan. And I really right. think it's valuable to have this experience because this is just another way to leverage um, one person's brand and just an opportunity just to hear different things because there are so many different topics. And, um, you know, we might think that we know something, but we honestly don't know a lot. <laughs> right. Right. No, absolutely. And, and podcasting has been blowing up recently, especially. And I think it's contributed to the fact where people have been at home a lot. People have been, you know, uh, definitely enjoying more content than previously. You can make that assumption. And uh, I, I always love podcasting, especially I've, I've been on one or two podcasts before and I, I enjoyed it so much, mostly because you get a sort of like unfiltered look. You can I, I like listening to podcasts when I'm driving to school or when I used to be driving to school or <laughs> yeah. going to work or uh, when I'm studying, I can play it on the background. It's, I don't feel like it's a YouTube video where, you know, you're putting up like there's a huge, uh, there's a huge uh, sort of focus on being um, immersing the person who's watching. Podcasting right. is more like we're sharing thoughts and ideas, join the conversation. You can zone out if you want to. That, that's, that's sort of the thing that I love about it. And I, I can, I love that it's, it's starting to get some more light and some more content. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, man, tell the people where you're from, man. Like, um, of course, you know, I sent you those little uh, questions. And remember, those questions are not even like what they're going to be asked here and there. But mostly it's just a conversation, as you know. Uh, but of For course, sure. you know, what is your name, your year, your major um, in your hometown? And why did you decide to go to your institution? 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name is Salim Hader. I am from Southern California, born and raised. Uh, I'm 19 years old. I'm currently studying accounting at California State University Fullerton. Uh, a few of the passions I have are I'm really into computers. I recently built my own computer this summer. I'm sure a lot of other people did, you know, picking right. up hobbies here and there, trying to do different stuff. Um, really into cars too. That's another one of my passions and, and public speaking. So on campus, one of the things that I'm known for doing, uh, aside from being a business honors student, is I'm involved with the TEDx program. Uh, I'm the president and founder of TEDx CSUF, which is a, a conference that we plan to hold with Tanaka. He's going to be yeah, one of our future yeah, yeah, speakers yeah. this spring, um, which is incredibly exciting. And, you know, that was an initiative that we started this fall. It was something that I knew I wanted to do when I chose my university, which I'll get into later. Uh, and it's grown. It's really grown. So right now we have a board, two boards in our organization. One of them is dedicated to our TEDx conference, which we are holding. Uh, we are a licensed TEDx branch, one of 2,000 across the world. And another thing that we're doing is our Titan Talks program, which is going to be an opportunity for students to be able to express themselves creatively without a formal sort of TEDx talk, which was, could be overwhelming. It could be a huge endeavor that not a lot of people may feel comfortable doing, um, but a more nonchalant um, area where people can practice their soft skills and maybe even have a finished result that they could publicize on their platform showing, you know, this is a speech or this is a, a creative talk that I did. Um, so that's what we do on campus. Really excited. You know, I'm honestly blessed to see how far it's come. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk more about it. I can talk about it for ages. I'm just, yeah, it's something that I'm really proud of. Um, but Tanaka asked me the question, why did I choose the institution I did? And that's a whole conversation in and of itself, but I've had this conversation many times. Um, is when I was in high school, I was a senior. Uh, the university I currently go to was about three or four blocks away. Um, right. So I, when I was a senior, I, I never had the impression of, I don't want to go to the university that's four blocks away from my high school. It, it would feel like I'm not progressing. It would be, <laughs> even though it's a great institution, it's one of the biggest Cal States with 45,000 students and right. um, a fantastic business program ranked, you know, very up there alongside other great schools and university in, in the Southern California area, like USC, UCI, Chapman. It's a fantastic business school, but I, I never had considered it my senior year because, well, it was four blocks away. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's honestly the only reason why I always thought, man, you know, a majority of the people in my high school will go there. It must not be competitive, must not be exclusive, must not be good. You know, all those sort of connotations. But I quickly realized I got into a lot of amazing schools um, out of high school, University of Southern California, Columbia University. I was waitlisted from Stanford, which is a school that I really loved and was passionate about. Um, but I uh, but I looked at the financial aid package, <laughs> which yeah, was yeah. heavy. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah, was yeah. not good. It was not good. <laughs> even though I had received, you know, scholarships at different institutions, even though I had gotten good financial aid, especially out of for the out of state universities, it was just way too expensive. Right. Way too expensive. So I and you know, I was I, I don't come from a very wealthy, prosperous family. Um, I would be paying for my, my college education myself, which would be a, a responsibility for me. Um, I didn't want to have my parents get in debt for me. I didn't want to get into debt myself. Um, so I, I, I made the personal choice where uh, I started exploring all of the options I had really in depth. Um, and I narrowed it down to a few, school, full, a few schools. I was received a full ride um, to an institution in the Bay Area where I would have been able to um, it's a smaller college, but I would have been able to take bridge bridge classes at different universities like Stanford or, or some of the UC Berkeley, UC Berkeley's or other UCs. So that was an option. And then the other option was UC Berkeley. And then the last option was uh, Cal State Fullerton. And I was deciding. Um, I was really deciding. And what it came down to is um, there was a program at Cal State Fullerton, which I had honors program. Um, 
And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the professor who was the one that interviewed me. I fell in love with the people I met there. And I realized that, you know, I think this is the best place where I can launch my career in the way that I feel comfortable doing. Right. Um, and it, it's the program comprises of, a, it's a cohort system. So um, there's four different years, freshman and senior. Each, each cohort has about 25 to 40 students. Um, it ranges as uh, the program does get competitive. There's a hefty GPA requirement as you go through that gets more and more strict. So people end up leaving the program or switching out, transferring universities, whatever it is. And the cohorts get smaller as the years goes on. Um, but I, I, I do like the inclusiveness. I like the fact that uh, we represent some of the best students, best business students at the university. We get customized classes with the best professors that we hand select. We choose on what professor we want and all the students in the cohort take that class together. So you really get involved. You really develop a sort of family. Um, right. And that was something I loved. And I, and I knew that it would be affordable for me. I knew it would be uh, close to home, but it would give me excellent opportunities for career networking, for developing myself as a professional. Um, so I did it. And I'm, and I'm happy I did it. I'm going to be graduating in three years with my master's equivalent um, because the, one of the benefits of the Cal State system was they were taking a lot of the units that I had worked very hard to get in high school, my AP classes and my HLIB classes. Um, so so I'm, I'm happy. I, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more glad. I'm glad to call myself a Titan, Cal State Fullerton. Um, so, so yeah, I hope that answers your question in length. I, I, awesome. I, I tend to go really long to these things. So if you want to stop me, feel free. Feel yeah, free, yeah. absolutely. That's good. That's for there's, there's so much to unpack right there. But I mean, um, I did not know that you're a fellow IBer. You know, shout out to IB. Oh yeah, yeah, man, dude. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on the IB program, man. Bro. I used to be a student counselor at my school for IB, so I, I I talked about it at length. I have helped so many people decide whether it's right for them, not right for them. It's it's a lot to unpack, like you said, right. for sure. Right. So now, like, you know, um, not to get too deep into it. So for you as a student um, going through the IB program, um, would you recommend it? Like, was it valuable to you? Because I know personally, my institution did not take the IB classes. And it's like, <sighs> and then it's like, darn, man, like, what the right. heck? Um, yeah. So <laughs> like for you and your experience, like, how was that um, IB program valuable to you? if you did find it valuable. I mean, of course, right. you know, there's value in everything. Oh yeah, no, obviously. Um, the Ivy program will push you. So, you know, mm -hmm. that in itself will help you learn <laughs> skills, time management. It, yeah, I, I saw Tanaka smile there. I know, I know the feeling studying for those, those, those May seasons where you have AP and IB classes stacked on top of each other. And it's, it's, it's a whole to unpack, but, um, but excellent question. And um, there's so much to unpack, but I'm going to preface it by saying that it entirely depends on you as a student, where you want to go, where you want to think. Um, I, I can tell you from my personal experience, when I was a freshman and I was given the choice of you have good grades, you're a great student. I think you'd be a good fit for the IB program. And I had to decide my, my reasoning, my thought process was that, okay, this is the, the hardest program my school has. So it must be the one that'll get me into the best school, the best college, the best university, right? By, by logic, right? IB is the hardest, maybe it'll be the best for me. Um, and that is what I went into. Um, but now that is something I advised against for a lot of different students, because um, if, if, you're, if your goal is to get into the best institution, if your goal is to graduate the quickest, if your goal is to do any of those sort of things, then I don't necessarily recommend IB. And right. you know, it comes with the foundation of the program. The IB is intended as a global standard for, you know, for students across the country, across the world, really, not just across the country. A lot of students across the world want to get into universities in the U.S. And, the, and IB offers a globally standard and globally recognized curriculum 
that allows these students, allows these universities to look at these students and say, oh, they have an IB diploma. That means they, they can be ranked alongside the students that came from the US. Because, you know, the, for example, the high school system in Cambodia may be different, but the, the IB curriculum in Cambodia is the exact same as the IB curriculum in the US. And so so if, you can, if you can equal, pass the IB anywhere, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? So, you know, that being said, you, you ask the question of, so why is it offered in the US if, you know, US universities can just go, to, you know, they know what this high school does in the US, why? Well, it, it, the, there's no good answer. <laughs> you know, if that, if that was your, your question, I would just be able to say the IB is mostly a global curriculum. It's not just for the U.S. So if you're planning to go to school, if you don't want to go, go to school in Beijing or China, you don't want to go to school in the Netherlands or you don't want to go to Oxford, you just want to go to school in the U.S., that already is a huge reason why you may not want to do IB. And that's okay. That's totally fine. So that's, that's the first thing to break down. Uh, and the second thing is, like I said, if you have other goals that you're very dead set on, for example, I want to get into the very best university. I want to get into uh, I want to graduate the quickest. I want to, you know, maximize um, the amount of credits I bring into my my college career. IB may not be right for you either, um, because as you know, the IB curriculum is very, you know, dead set. You have to have certain units in certain categories. You have to take three HLs, three SLs, um, and you know, a lot of those classes may overlap. Me personally, I took four years of biology. Um, <laughs> I didn't take AP Chem. I didn't take AP Physics. Had I been a STEM major and I wanted to go into engineering, I would have to take a lot of additional courses at the university level since I right. couldn't take them at high school. I didn't have the time in my schedule. Um, and it was tough, it was really tough. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm lucky I went to an institution that took my four years of bio credits. I, I know not a lot of other institutions are like that. A lot of private schools don't do that. Uh, I'm lucky to go to a state school that does. Um, so that was, that's a huge factor. And then the third thing, and the very last thing, so I'll close out my answer with this, is IB, not only is it restricting in terms of what you have to do, not only isn't uh, an over amount of work for a student that's already going in the US for university you're planning to do that, uh, it takes an immense amount of time, an immense, immense amount of time. Um, one of the things in high school is I was highly involved, just like I am at the university level. I was in marching band for four years. Or actually, if you count from when I was in elementary school, I was, in, I was involved with music from fifth grade all the way to my 12th grade. Right. Um, so seven years consecutively of, of, of music. It was something I was incredibly passionate about. Um, but I had done IB and marching band, um, you know, at the same time at the high school level. And if you know anything about marching band, um, especially in, in Southern California, East Coast and some Southern states, is it's huge. You know, there's a huge time commitment. Right. I had practices, you know, um, almost two times during the week, Tuesday, Thursdays, sometimes Wednesdays, Wednesdays were individual sections where we would come together as students without any instructors. We would have Saturday practices, 12 to 12. Um, so, you know, those were Wait, 12 to 12. Yeah. Yeah. 12 to 12. So, you know, if we had a competition in the afternoon, uh, and sometimes it's even worse where we have a, a parade performance in the morning and then a competition, uh, in the afternoon. We, and then we, we get back at the school at 12 p.m. because, you know, we have to bus ride to there. We have to bus ride back. We have to load the trailer. It's intense. You, you know, I, the longest day, if I remember correctly, was I woke up at five. I had meandered my way into my car and drove over. And then I had started packing for the parade. We drove somewhere for a parade. We did the parade. I packed it back. We drove back to the school. We did some rehearsals on the field. Then we repacked it. And then we went to another school for another competition. We came back. Woo! 
and it was around 12. It was around 12. The award ceremonies start at 9.30, then you have to do all that. other. So it's intense. It's just incredible. Uh, but it was, I enjoyed every single minute of it, every single minute of it, because you can imagine, you know, when you hang out with people for 5 a.m. in the morning till 12 in the night, you get some really close friends. You, you right. were forced to get some really close <laughs> friends. Right. Um, so, so it was a wonderful experience, and I wouldn't have traded it for anything. But now, now you can sort of see where I'm getting at. I just said about how IB is a demanding program. There's a lot of things you have to do. And now I'm also doing this, which I also love for my own mental health. For my, it's just a passion of mine. It, it doesn't mix well together. You know, something has to go. It's like that famous photo where it's like the triangle. It's like social life, grades, mental health, and you can right. only have two of them. So I, I, you know, I was sacrificing things I shouldn't have been sacrificing. I was right. sacrificing my sleep. I was sacrificing the way I felt in the mornings. I was sacrificing the way I felt at night when I was working on projects, studying for exams, that that wasn't, that, you know, to me, I can say, I don't even know for me if it was worth sacrificing those things. Right. <laughs> because I, yeah, because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed, you know, IB and learning and I enjoyed, you know, marching band, but I, it was, it was tough and it was, it was taxing. Um, and, you know, going back, I, I, I wish I, I probably would have told myself that you can relax a little bit. You know, you, you may need to sort of, trim your schedule. You can still be involved with marching band, but maybe don't put in the extra eight hours a day. Don't put in, not, not a day. Don't maybe don't put in the eight, extra eight hours a week. Like, don't go to all those optional practices. Don't sign up to be in the concession stand volunteering. Like I understand you may love those things, but for your own health, don't do them. Um, but that's the thing with IV because uh, I'm getting sidetracked, but you know, if, if you are that focused on education, if you think you can manage an extracurricular or that you are willing to manage is a better word because you, anybody can do it, but if you're willing to do it, which is because it's going to be tough, yeah. um, then, then you, maybe you can pull off both. You can pull off a heavy extracurricular in IB, but IB is, it's, it's a tax, it's an education, it's an education uh, and education requires time and commitment. So it's, it's really where your priorities are. It's really where you want to go. And it's really what, you know, you can push yourself to do that's that those are like the trifecta of things i i tell the people when they do IB, why they want to do IB, yeah. and it's a whole conversation that you can have with someone and get different answers go different ways but i love having that conversation and i hope that answers your question yeah that's really good that's really good and i really love how you're able to break it down in a way like yo it's worth it but this is also my experience that i also kind of encountered because i right. myself was heavily involved too you know i did track did basketball did theater oh yeah did sports acapella, yeah. did um you Choir, know student yeah. government did mm -hmm. um bro like i was like part of the, this cheer squad called like the gold rush which was kind of like I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with texas a&m but like they have these people that wear overalls and that are like oh yeah uh, yeah like that um i was you know i was i was but across country like i was yeah, I'm yeah. talking about like Mr. Involved, I was Mr. Involved at uh, my high school. And then also on top of the uh, IB curriculum, I'm really surprised. I'm like, you know, and also lived an hour away from school. You know what? I was oh, yeah. so pressed. Uh, I was super pressed that I'm, throughout my high school academic career that I never got an award. Because I felt like you, well, <laughs> that was an entitlement. That was an entitlement and ego thing. But I'm like, yo, no, like, guys. I worked my butt off in the classroom. I worked my butt off in, in being involved in all these things. And I've always felt, and even I talked about it to my teachers and then they're like, you know, uh, my, my high school counselor, my academic counselor, we were talking and it's like, yeah, you know what, man? Like, hey, don't worry about it because your time is going to come and, you know, shoot. Like, I'm the first person ever at my high school institution that's giving a TED talk. Like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, but it's just like, it was in the sense of, man, 
And of course, you should never, ever, ever work for the approval of people. But I mean, like, sometimes you feel like, yo, like, I'm still surprised how I was able to do that. Like, waking up at 4 a.m., going to, having that discipline. I mean, yeah. I still do wake up at 4 a.m., do whatever. But still going over, this, going over to the school, going out, being, being the captain of the team, being able to wake up, being able to do all the homework, do all, leading the class, leading it through, doing the theater, doing this, doing that, do blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dang. And IB, oh, and AP, but yeah, um, stack but you, it on, yeah, man. But um, you definitely are right about that, and I really feel like it's kids, um, especially with the how education is moving, and now we're moving on to an online environment nowadays. Um, which I was looking, thinking this would happen like three to five years from now, but it is right. moving. Shout out to COVID. Um, <laughs> it's just um, I would highly recommend personally, like. If you're not going to school outside of the country, don't go to the IB program. Right. It's, right. Um, woo! <laughs> sorry. Sorry to all my teachers, that uh, anyone that listens to it. But, yeah. Um, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> no, I 100% understand. Because, you know, just think about what the program does and why it's offered across the world. And then you, you – basic reasoning will infer what type of students should take it, what type of students, sure. So <laughs> it's a matter of, it, you only do it if you're super passionate about it. So if you're, if you're on the fence and if you think, I want to do other things too, then maybe just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't feel like, you know, you're backing down from a challenge or anything. It's just, you know, t time management is something that they always preach about the IB program and it'll what? teach you. Time <laughs> management is, you'll, you'll learn it. But the most efficient, the, not just the most, what's the proper word for it? You're going to best learn your time management by starting at the beginning whether or not this is right, right for you. You don't have to do the IB program to teach you time. If you can recognize in yourself, this program isn't right for me. It's going to take a ton of time away from the things that I do want to do. Then you're, you already have excellent time management skills. Don't feel like you're being left out in the dust because you're not doing IB. Yeah, yeah. There's a also, constant thing of inadequacy among IB students where you're working the hardest and you know, you're doing awesome things but you feel like you're constantly behind all the time. People are right. like, the culture is totally different where people are like constantly one-upping themselves. My schedule is crazier. My schedule is crazier. My IB thesis is crazy. Whatever it is, you know, you don't, it's, 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 it's just it's weird. unhealthy. And, you know, you have it's to, yeah, it unhealthy. is. Yeah. Yes, it damaging is. And Absolutely. Like, totally. Oh my goodness, man. You can definitely talk about that. And especially <laughs> like my school, um, like my um, alma mater for high school definitely pushed in the notion of, um, they were definitely very uh, forceful. I'm just going to like keep it at 100 a buck. Yeah. They were very forceful in terms of being able to be an IB program. Like, yo, IB is the way or no way. And, yeah. Um, no, my school is the same. And I don't think that especially for um, us, you know, especially in this new generation where comparison is at like at the forefront for everything um, I don't think that this institutions um, or my school, like even talking to my high school counselor again, she was saying that the environment that we grew up like that we were in, encountered during that period of time was not the healthiest and it has damaged a lot of people in ways that they don't, can't even explain. And right. um, I just wish, um, I really wish that they were able to emphasize more on the mental health aspect for especially young students um, um, as we continue to move on to progress. I don't know. No, yeah, totally. I, I, you know, we, we all hear the stories. I, I remember in the Ivy program, I would be in a class, there's people crying after the exams. And th during the seasons, there's people that are 
um, you know, just feeling miserable that, that you can see them like they're zombies on campus, like lifeless corpses. I was one of them for a certain period of time, especially during those heavy peak of marching band season, peak of IB season, like midterms, that, that would be like the, the special sort of time where the stars align every year, but I would be dead, just to totally exhausted. To and, and my temper would be like, I would be easily annoyed, aggravated. And it, it, it's a side of me that I, I hate, and, <laughs> but it was brought out because of the demanding amount of aspects of all the different things I was involved in. Um, but like you said, they, they, they sort of preach the fact that IV is an exclusive thing, that it's a competitive thing. It is, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for every student or that, you know, it's something that you have to do. Like, like the way you put it, the, this is the path or there's, there, there's no other alternative. It, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Especially if you look at, I, I had AP students, people who had done AP exclusively that get into Ivy leagues. And I, I can, I had no people in Ivy that got into Ivy leagues. There's no, there's, I don't think necessarily there's a correlation. I think it's just a type of student. If you're an excellent student, doesn't matter whether you do AP classes or IB classes, you'll get into an excellent school. That's all right. it is. IB program is a track, it's a guide, but it's, it's only for the people that are interested in it or the people that, you know, should take it like international students. <laughs> so yeah, it, I think, you know, when you're talking about mental health and I highly, highly, you know, I agree with you. Um, where I think educators should be more educated in terms of what the program and its benefits are. I was a student counselor. I helped a lot of different people on my school decide on what IB was and whether it was not right for them, but not a lot of other schools have that. And not a lot, even my IB counselor didn't know a lot of the different things about the uses of the program after high school. He was focused a lot exclusively on what the program is at the high school level and what the work is and stuff like that, but not right. the benefits. And you know, that, they, my school preached a lot of our, you know, acceptance rate, our graduation rates with IB diplomas, whatever it was, this and that. But, you know, I could tell, and it bothered me too, because they always put the best numbers forward. My IB starting class, pre-IB, my, so my freshman, sophomore year was around 500 students and only 120 received a diploma. But, you know, th but the statistics that they show would be that of the 150 senior year, um, 120 received their IB diploma. Like, and that's the statistic they put forward, that they don't tell you about the 300 other students, my friends who were in the IB program that weren't able to complete it because they, they weren't keeping up. They, they hated it. They weren't interested, but it excludes all of those. So it makes it seem like, you know, people who do IB are dead set on it. They always pass and, you know, they preach that sort of stigma forward, but they leave behind all the people. And then when you're constantly putting this number up front, how do you think the people that don't, that end, that end up realizing this program's not for them feel? when their IB counselor recommends that they, they, they stop the program or that they want to stop the program. And, you know, it, it's a stigma. It's, it's horrible. And it's, 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 it's keeping students locked into something they don't want to do when they have the option to leave whenever they want. It's basically, right. a, it's basically a Zimbardo thing. It's, it's ridiculous. Yes. I, I, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, man, it's unhealthy. Like you said, unhealthy. Unhealthy, man. But um, that's a really good point. And so, you know, I want to pivot a little bit, man. And, and it's yeah. just like, you know, you're somebody that is still heavily involved. So, I mean, for any other student or even um, like an adult or somebody, like how do you go about the time management? Because that is a skill that is definitely sought after by a lot of people whenever they're trying to form their habits. They want to be able to implement that skill set of I need to manage my time well, because if I'm unable to manage my time well, how else am I able to manage any of my responsibilities? So how do you right. go about that? You know, people, it's a question I've been asked before, and I, I to this day, I still don't know the excellent answer for it. Uh, but I can say one thing where if you're the person that's listening to this, or if you're the person that's 
wondering specifically if there's a secret formula to where you can develop time management skills. I wouldn't say there is one. I can say that there's many different aspects of different people that have excellent time management skills that you can in, incorporate in your, in your life. But if you're looking for someone to say something that's going to just magically give you time management skill, that's going to magically make you feel motivated, it's never going to happen. Right. It's never, it's never, ever going to happen. And I can say it right now because, you know, I, I, I've, I've met many different people throughout my high school, collegiate, professional career even, albeit small professional, but I, I've met a lot of different people that, that they're, they're constantly looking for that one thing. And they say, when I find it, man, am I just going to really kick off, right? It's, it's not. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. But, so, so, but I wanted to preface it by saying that. But, you know, some things that help me a lot. Uh, and ramp off a few is my calendar. I, I use my calendar a lot. I highly recommend getting uh, a platform or a software is on on your devices that that works best for you to manage your schedule. Um, and that and I'm not exactly even sure personally if that's if that's something that helps me with my time management skills or it's the cause of my time management skills. Right. Um, because you know when you do a lot of different things, you have to stay organized. 100% stay organized. Um, you gotta you know keep your events planned on your calendar. You gotta you know, even something as simple, like if, if I receive an email um, and I have to respond to it, I make a calendar for it. So I don't forget. I don't leave it in my inbox and I organize my inbox as well. I, I flag it, whatever it is. So keeping a constant watch on your priorities and what needs to get done and when it needs to get done. Um, that's going to help you be successful when it comes to managing your time. But another thing is you have to also understand what you can take and what, what you can't take. Um, that's a huge, so a, a lot of issues that people have is not being able to say no. Um, that's a huge thing as well. Uh, taking on responsibilities that you feel aren't beneficial, that you feel that you don't want to do, that you're not passionate about, that's going to crumple up your time. And right. time is a valuable resource. There's only 24 hours in a day. So uh -huh. you have to be constantly aware of if I'm doing something that I don't want to be doing, that's not beneficial to me, that maybe I need to put a stop to it. Maybe I need to say no. And sometimes it might be even saying no to yourself. Sometimes it might not be, you know, de declining an opportunity, but, you know, it might be saying, I want to go and watch YouTube videos, uh, Minecraft videos for, you know, for like three hours and it ends up becoming six hours or, you know, whatever it is you need to tell yourself, is this Minecraft video that I'm going to watch? It's going to take 20 minutes. It's going to go down into a spiral worth it <laughs> because yeah. I have other things to do. I have, you know, you, you have to constantly check yourself. Constantly check yourself. And, you know, that's another thing, too, is when, when I see uh, some days I, I'm incredibly busy uh, and some days I'm not incredibly busy, I, I compare what my hourly breakdown is for those two different types of days right. where, you know, a day can go by quick if I have meeting after meeting, if I have email to respond to, if I have to hop in a conference call, hop out, if I have to do some work, some homework, some studying, whatever it is, the day can go by quick. But the day can go by just as quick if I just spend it all on my phone while I'm, you know, around the house, I'm in the couch, I'm, on my, I'm in, my, in my bed, in my chair, whatever it is, if I'm not constantly paying attention. So it's just, that would be one thing I would recommend is keeping yourself in check. Um, and the third thing is uh, dedication. It, it's, it's, it's honestly like, that's a huge thing as well, where time management skills really, really can only be built upon if you're constantly challenging yourself. Right. Where if, if you don't have enough on your schedule, like if I only have one thing to do every day and there's no difference between having excellent time management skills or, or horrible time management skills, as, as long as that one thing gets done, that's it. But you have to have multiple things on your plate in order to exercise that skill. Um, 
And, you know, you might ask the question, how do I open myself to these opportunities? How do I, you know, find things that I'm passionate about? That's where the dedication comes in. That's right. where, you know, you have an end, end game goal in mind. I can tell you some of the goals that I have for myself as, as, as someone in my professional thinking way ahead is I want to get, um, I want to get an excellent position of ability where I can, you know, manage different things where I can, whether it be a company, whether it be my own career, whether it be working on projects, working on big teams, whether it be being someone that is respected for knowing what, how to get things done for knowing certain things. That is a person I aspire to be. I know I want to get into higher education. I, I would, my dream is to get my MBA at a top 10 school one day. Um, I, I, and I know that having those goals in mind is, is what, you know, drives me to do everything that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And you may ask the question, so how can I put this on a more reasonable scale? What if I want to do really well in this class? Um, I, I would say, you know, don't think small. Don't think small. If doing really well in this class doesn't mean just getting an A. Because then you're going to be constantly comparing yourself to this number. I'm at an 82.7 right now. If I get a, you know, a 40 out of 50 on this next <laughs> test, I'll bump to an 85. Yes. Like, no, that's, that's micromanaging. That's, that's micromanaging. You need to think about. Why do I care about this? I care about this class because I want to get an A. So that goes on my transcript. So when I apply to my MBA school, they, I have the best grades possible. That's why I want to get the A. Not just so I can have that 90, not just so I can get a 40 on this test. No, that you want to get the A because that is what your goal is in mind. And when you think macro, all of the other things sort of fall into place. Right. That's what it is. You right. know, if, if you're constantly, you know, trying to think of the small things, the small achievements, while that's respectable, why that's very encouraged. I, you need to start thinking long-term because when you think long-term, you, you find all the sort of parts that are breaking apart one by one. For an, an example of this would be if you start a car, right? And the car doesn't work. You know that something's wrong with the car, right? Yeah. But you can build a car piece by piece and you might know nothing's wrong with it unless you try starting it. You need to try starting the car. You need to try looking at all the components as a whole and putting them together and thinking of the end game goal before you can start componing it little by little, it just isn't going to be, isn't going to work. So I don't know if that entirely answers the question or if that is related to the question at all of, of time management skills and how to work on them, but you definitely need to think big. You definitely need to keep yourself in check and you definitely need to uh, utilize a way to help you achieve those sort of, those two different goals. Right. Um, so that's, those would be some things I recommend. Right. That's good. That's really good. I really think that's so beneficial. And especially that one place of saying no, I know growing up, mm -hmm. I, um, you know, subconsciously I was a people pleaser because, you know, of course, you know what you want to be liked and everything like, like that. But like, you know, your Sabbath, like you not being able to say no might be like, might be pleasing to somebody else in the short term, but in the long term, you're sabotaging yourself from one, doing the thing that you want to do. And two, not being able to place boundaries. And I really think it's important for uh, individuals, highly successful or not silent, but just everybody to be able to have um, that capacity and understanding of like, hey, this is the boundary that I need to put for myself. Because too many times we often let things like, you know, try to come to our way. And then after that, we get frustrated, frustrated or flustered or anything of that nature, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I just remember that I didn't even talk about at all, but it's so incredibly important is that time management skills. You, there's a certain thing that I, I, I like, a certain mantra or philosophy that I always have where you cannot do things alone. Even the smartest person in the world, even if you are incredibly capable, you cannot do things alone. I am an excellent example of that. I'm highly involved in multiple different things in my career. In TEDx, I'm vice president of a community service organization. I'm a business honor student. I'm taking summer classes. I'm doing a lot of different things at once. But I wouldn't be able to do any of those things alone. 
Right. I wouldn't be able to be a successful student working by myself. Right. I wouldn't be able to run a TEDx program without having a board, without having a co-director, without having a team behind me. It's so incredibly important to do that. It's so incredibly important to set yourself for a success by working and coordinating and having good relationships with those around you. Um, that is just so, and you know, I'm constantly reminded of that whenever I have an important meeting, whenever something comes up at work and I'm not able to attend a scheduled meeting or conference, right? I know I can count on my team to step up and do whatever it is. Um, whenever, whether it's, I can't attend this relay, I can't attend. Um, they, there's a faculty meeting that the, our club is, you know, we have to represent ourselves. I can't make it. I know that there's someone there that can help me do that. And I can, right. they can fill in the gaps for a lot of the different things I'm in. And you, it's just so important. So important. And if you, if your goal is to be successful, if your goal is to be very involved in all those sort of things, you just cannot do it alone. A CEO isn't a company. It doesn't run the company all by himself. And that doesn't, he, he depends on a lot of different other people to help make it work and they work together to make it work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether it's working on your ability to not be a micromanager, which is as someone that it likes to think of themselves as a perfectionist, I can be sometimes I have learned that some, some people that they, not some people, what's the right word? That you, that you have to allow other people to do work. <laughs> That's what it is. I, I love doing work myself. I love getting passionate about the things I'm involved in. Like using the example of, of TEDx is it's a program with around 25 different members that help make it up. As right. much as I would love to run our social media account and send our emails and uh, you know interview every single speaker and follow alone. up with those, I can't do it alone. Exactly, I can't do it alone. So what what did I do? What did I do? I found people that are very passionate, just like me. And I'm, I'm helping them work and helping them do the things that I want to do and, and, you know, create this platform, this program that can build upon itself, that I'm not constantly adding every Lego brick to each other, but it's a team. It's a team. And, you know, I'm, I'm honestly blessed, incredibly blessed that we have a fascinating team that's working excellently on every single step of the way and is, is fully autonomous. You know what I mean? I, I, just because I'm not there to run a meeting doesn't mean that meeting isn't going to happen. Exactly. It, that, and that, that was something that it was very hard to build, but now that it is there, it allows us to be successful. It allows right. us to be successful. You cannot be successful without doing things, you know, above and beyond what you can do. Yeah. Um, so that, that was incredible. That's an incredible thing. I, I, it was so important. I had to mention it when it comes to time management because Absolutely. you can't, you can't do everything yourself. Right. You can't do everything yourself. And that's so good. Um, dude, um, now this is kind of off again, another pivot. Yeah, um, let's do it. Um, so for you, you know, you said you were born and raised in California, but, um, talk about your, like your little bit of like your heritage background. Um, of course, you know, your, your name yourself, but like, um, um, talk about that. I don't want to assume, but are you first generation, obviously you said you're born and raised, so are you first generation American? Yeah. First generation okay. American. Okay. So like, talk about that, man. How, like, where are your parents from and how does it feel? And are you the eldest? No, no, I'm actually the youngest. I'm oh, actually okay. The youngest. Turn I up. Have- yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, man, uh, that's a packed story. I'll, I'll go. I'm gonna go right into it because I'm. I love this story. Um, so, my mom's from Mexico, Mexico City. Um, well, she grew up in. She's actually from Veracruz. That's where she. Um, she grew up as a child, but then when her father passed away, they lived in Mexico City briefly, and I'll talk about that more later. My dad is from Pakistan. Uh, he was born in India, but immediately after his birth, they moved to Pakistan. Um, and both of his parents are Pakistani as well. So that, that's where both of my parents are from. I'll start with my mom. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, my mom grew up in a farm in Veracruz. Uh, my granddad, who I'm named after, by the way, his name is spelled Salim, but with an I and an accent. I have a double E. Um, so my grandfather was uh, Lebanese. 
uh, and my mother was from Mexico. Whoa, 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 uh, wait, 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 wait. So your grandfather was from Lebanon, and then he mm -hmm. came to Mexico. He emigrated. To em wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm from. I'm from all over, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, yeah, but but I I never got the opportunity to meet my grandfather. But I heavily admire him, and I'm proud to hold his name because I had you know while I may not have been able to meet him, I know his legacy very well. I know my mom. I know her. My aunts. I know my grandmother. I know. I've even visited um, the house that he built with his own hands for a family of twenty. He built a house on a farm in Mexico, a family of 20. And I saw it was a four-story house. Um, and when we went to visit it, it was sad because after his passing, they had sold the farm. They had moved away. And it's a funny story because when we went to Mexico to visit where my mom was from, um, we literally trespassed into that farm to see that house. Um, and it was it, it was it was the, the whole house was breaking apart, but the, the bones were there. You know, you right. see the foundation. You see the different stories, the rooms and everything. And it's just, wow. Um, the walls were falling apart quite literally off the house but you know you admire someone that literally built that themselves and then you see the stables you see the stairs that go down to the river because it was sort of on a cliff edge all of that was built by a very driven man a very passionate man, a man who took care of his family so that's someone i aspire to become that was a definitely i'm like i said i'm very proud to hold his name but after after my grandfather passed away my mom went to mexico city uh, my one of my oldest aunts came to the United States, started an ice cream shop, which I'm going to talk about later because it all winds together. I'm, I'm segueing from my parents are from and how they meet. That's where I'm going. So um, my aunt started an ice cream shop and she brought my uh, her sisters one by one. So that included my mom, my grandma, everyone. Um, and they all came to the U.S., which is in Southern California. Um, so that, that's how my, my mom's side came to the U.S. And that's where they still are today. My grandma is very fortunate that she's still alive today. Um, and I'm, I'm able to be, meet her and all those sort of things. But, uh, but, so, but that's enough about my mom's side. Let's talk about my dad's side. So my dad grew up in Pakistan um, since he was a kid. Uh, he went to high school there. And I remember he told me very distinctly that one day he was walking home and he had been mugged. Uh, from the bus, he'd been mugged. And he, he was walking home and he, he was just asking himself, what the hell am I still doing here? <laughs> you know, I'm a smart guy. I'm driven. I, I, I know this, you know, I don't want my life to be here. I don't want to be the one getting constantly mugged. I, this is a miserable place to be. He right. says, I, I can do so much better than this. So what did he do? He studied, he took an international exam and he got into a school in Canada. It wasn't the best school. It's uh, Concordia University back at the time. It was, it's, a, it's a fantastic institution now, but it grew to that. Uh, this, we're talking, man, years. My dad's you know, almost 58 now. So, um, but he, he got 80. into a school in Canada. He was studying business. Uh, and then he decided when he graduated, a few of his friends from the university uh, went to California. So they went to California. And uh, my dad started his own business. He used to do a warehousing business. Um, and then he bought his own restaurant. He ran his own restaurant. And he ran a bagel shop. So that's about my entrepreneur, dad. A, a food entrepreneur. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he is. Because uh, he used a lot of the skills that he got from studying business to sort of manage his own restaurant. He was able to do that. Um, so now, so I talked about my mom, my dad, how did they meet? So I'm going to go back to my mom. So it was my aunt's ice cream shop. My mom used to work at my aunt's ice cream shop. And every day my aunt used to get bagels for work. If you can see where this is going. So my aunt used to go to this bagel store that was nearby and buy bagels. And she met my dad who worked at this bagel store who ran the shop. He said, I met this guy. He seems really cool, right? So he, she brought back the bagels to the ice cream store and, and she said, how about you? She told my mom, how about you go get the bagels from now on? I think you, you might like this young guy who, who runs the store, this and that, right? So my mom went with the bagels and, you know, 
she met my dad and it's weird to think now but my mom always said my dad was a big flirt back then my dad's 58 <laughs> now so i never like to think of that but yeah. <laughs> but she, my, yeah, your dad used to be a big flirt then and he charmed me this and that and that's how they met and they got married and you know you know that's how i was born and all those sort of things so um that's my that's my family background and I, i'm heavily involved with you know uh, from my dad's side, I'm Muslim, so we just celebrated Eid Mubarak, which was, that, you know, yeah, we yeah, started yeah. Eid. Eid, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, and my mom's from Mexico, so I'm he heavily involved with my Mexican side. I speak Spanish. I, um, I, I visited a few times. Never visited Pakistan because uh, it's a little dangerous, especially even now with the current. Even now with the current circumstances, it's even more so dangerous. But my dad says he would always love to visit, but he got out of there for a reason. He's very He's very, he, he's very, he loves his country and his background, but he's very sad, I guess would be the way to put it, of where it is at the moment. Um, so he said, I would love to visit, but I don't know. I don't know if it'll be, you know, for me in my lifetime. And I was, that's okay. But, you know, me, I would love to visit it one day just to see where I'm from, what my dad was living in, like, even though, albeit it'll probably be years later since he left, but I'm curious. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love my background. I love where I'm from. I'm, I'm from all over, like you were touching on earlier, Lebanese, Mexican, Pakistan. It's such a weird mix, too. The food is certainly industry. interesting. My mom tries to combine the two together. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I love talking about where I'm from, my, my culture, where my background is. I feel it's what makes me unique. I feel it's what makes me an individual. I'm incredibly proud um, to be from these areas, to be diverse. Um, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm first generation born here. My, my both, none, of, none of my parents were born here. Um, and that, that's something that I'm incredibly proud to, to, you know, to, to be, to be, you know, incredibly proud to be given these opportunities that my parents may not have had from where they were from, but, you know, growing up in a country that allows me to be a college student that allows me to be successful and pursue the things that I'm passionate about. There's a lot to talk about there and a lot that I'm thankful for. So yeah, I hope that elaborates a little bit about where I'm from. Yeah, man, that's incredible. That's awesome because, you know, when most people just say, okay, his name is Salim, they'll, they'll just think, oh, he's Indian or he's just, um, or he's back from Pakistan. But like right. now, but then see, there's so much, and that's the reason why, I mean, granted, the reason why I started this podcast was because I was the, the, um, the what do you call it? Um, diversity and inclusion um, deputy ex executive officer or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they're like, okay, cool. You know, talk about diversity. And I mean, kind of like, you know, they're like, oh, if not the black you can do it i'm like what right <laughs> oh I'm my like, goodness come on, oh. come on guys but 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 also but um you know i loved podcasting so i'm like and I'm, my job was to go on listening tours and I'm like, okay so if i go on a listening tour i'm able to hear everybody else's perspective but the whole and but i'm how am i supposed to go there and then after that share their experience because I like through communications through communication channels that can right. of course get muddled or things get left out. So what's a way go directly to the source, record it. So at least people have an opportunity and access to do that. Um, right. You know, and yeah, um, I'm not even about diversity. It's about all about equity, equity and justice. Um, that's what I'm really big on because yeah, diversity and inclusion is more like, okay, Hey, we got numbers and we're going to put you there. You're included, mm -hmm. but well, equity, um, and justice is an opportunity where for people that well, each and every person is equal and they all have opportunities for the people that are less fortunate to be able to get to these positions where they are able to be in equal standing and justice in the way that things are going to be delivered fairly in a way that in a manner that's going to be effective and everybody can there be, be harmony. Right. But it's just so far. Yeah. But no, it, it's facts though. It's facts. <laughs> 
uh, it's what it should be. Well, that's why we're working day by day. Uh, leaders like us that are doing that, honestly. And it's just such a, a beautiful understanding like, to see like how, how there's so much debt and there's so much history in just your background that I feel like that most people, um, one, are too quick to make assumptions and two, don't even get a chance to talk about it because, I mean, I guess it's now becoming a little bit touchy when it shouldn't be, you know? Right. Um, but so that's just incredible that you're able to really just dive in into that and just um, just be able to share that, man. And you have a very global perspective. And I guess like, you know, for um, the question that I asked that's on the list is like, why do you think it's important for us to have a global, uh, be globally, pers- uh, have a global perspective? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think there's, once again, so many different elements to it. So having a global perspective, man, where do I even start? Um, I would say that aligns well with one of my passions, which is traveling. I know everyone says, oh, I'm passionate about traveling. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, it's, it's nice. <laughs> it's fun. Um, but, but one of the things that I take most from when I travel and what I love about it is that you get global perspective. You know, every country, every group, every region, every community is so different, man. And you even look at, for example, even inside the United States, even inside the United States, you know, there's SoCal, there's NorCal, there's people from Orange County, there's people from the Valley, you know, there's different groups of people, different cultures, different dialects of way people talk. That's just within a single state in the same country. Can you imagine the cultural differences that can be learned from a Californian resident going to Thailand, going to Cambodia, going to India, where cultures have been different, have been separate for thousands of years? It's tremendous. You learn so much. You learn so much in, you know, another thing is human psychology and the way that you think is molded by where you grew up and the environment you grew up because you think a lot alike the people that you're around. Right. And when you get it, when you think a certain way, it's so difficult to try and think differently. How do you even think differently? You know, that's something that you've learned over the course of your entire life and you cannot think differently. It's very hard to try and use your mindset in a totally different way you know, totally change opposite way. Right. But, but when you go to a different country, when you meet different people from different countries that have been, that have been growing in different way with a totally different mindset, you learn so many different things. You, you, you learn so many different ways to think. There's certain things that you just can't imagine out of no, nowhere. You know, that there's certain ideas, for example, I always like to use this analogy where there's the cure for cancer, right? But you can't just think of the cure for cancer. You have to build your way there. You know what I mean? Right. Like, sure, if it, there's, no, there's no like unique sentence. You can't, it doesn't just pop out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, boom, I know the cure for cancer. No, no, that just, that's not how it works, right? Um, so you have to build onto those things. And that's what I think global perspective comes into play. Where there's, there's and you know, I'm, you might know this terminology because we learned it in TOK, which is an IB class, but there is the mental map where yeah. you, know, you, you sort of you start from the center and it's one big bubble and you branch out and you learn more bubbles and as the surface area of these bubbles increases that means more questions can be learned to be asked right which is it's huge it's huge and that's where you sort of that's where global perspective comes into play where you become an increasingly more aware an increasingly more intelligent person by learning things that that's that just a matter of fact the more perspectives you're able to draw upon is the stronger argumenter you'll be is the stronger individual you'll be is the stronger problem solver you'll be that it, there's so many different aspects that come from being able to ask questions and expand i can you know the, like like you said there's 
there's there's there's so much important there's so much to dive into but if you if you don't know the right questions to ask you'll never get to where you want to go mm. you won't be able to find the cure for cancer by asking what's two plus two you know you have <laughs> yeah. to be able to ask the right questions in order to get there and that's very difficult. And you're only able to do that by increasing your perspective and your, your sense of knowledge. So when, when asked the question, what does global perspective be? I, obviously, um, that's one of the things that I highly promote as, as a TEDx director, uh, you know, asking people to, to voice themselves on a huge global platform is that there's, you, you grow, you grow as an individual, you grow your mindset, you grow, you, you know, who you are, it becomes a part of you. That's what global perspective is. It's not a physical thing that you can acquire. It's not uh, a skill set that you can just sort of pick up through, through you know, like, it's not like, a, uh, what do you, like, what is it? Like uh, being able how to spin a yo-yo where you can just practice the same thing over and over bar and get global perspective. You have to practice different things. You have to practice uh, a philosophy and then you get global perspective. You can't just, you know, I can't practice global perspective by sitting at home and watching the cars on the street. I'm going to learn a lot about that street, but I'm not going to learn a lot about the street right next to it or the street that's in India or the street that's in Mexico City, which, believe me, are very different than the streets in the U.S. Right. Having been in a taxi <laughs> in Mexico City, it's incredibly different. And you learn those sort of things. If I had just stared at that street exclusively, I would have never imagined what other streets could be like. That's the only street I've ever known. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right in front of me. But you learn things and you learn different strategies and ways people move around ways people live their lives with your global perspective so it's incredibly important and i attribute a lot of that to the person i am today is because i've been able i've been exposed i've been able to learn more about different people from across the world which is a privilege honestly it's a privilege not a lot of people have been able to have but it's something that i highly encourage any individual to to aim towards acquiring um so such an important thing such an important thing. i'll pass it back to you that's awesome. That's incredible. And that's definitely very true, man. That is, um, I really love how you're able to break it down and utilize these um, analogies that are, you know, that can help uh, make it people, you know, feel like, oh yeah, this is necessary because, you know, especially when we live in such an ethnocentric society, that's just like, we're the best, we're the biggest, we're the proudest, we got everything. Um, it, it, it kind of really muddles down each and every other voice that makes, um, oh yeah. America, great. <laughs> yeah. um, like, you know, like this yeah. melting pot of um, diversity and this melting pot of, of just people, different perspectives and where people come from. And now that is a perfect segue into more of um, what would you like to see change in America? This is a broad question, but like, what would you like to see change? Oh, right. oh man. <laughs> yeah, let me give me a second to think about that. That's such a loaded question. What would I like to see change in America? Jeez. Um, I'm like struggling to find out where to start. You know, this is a clip that I, I always like to see. And, you know, I, I guess I'll start here where it, it, I forgot what was the name of the movie, but it was, um, I'll, I'll set the scene for, for everyone. It was, there was a, uh, there were a bunch of uh, newscasters, I believe that were on the stage and there was a reporter. Um, there was a reporter in the, in the audience or I think they were at a university or something. Someone in the audience asked, um, is America the greatest country in the world? I remember, I know exactly, yeah. I know that movie, yeah. I remember that clip. Right, right, and the guy was spotting statistics where, you know, we're, we're not the first in education, we're not the first in public transportation, we're not the first in research and development, we're not the first in a lot of things, so why is America the first, you know? And it, that was a very powerful sort of thing, right? And it, it, it doesn't answer the question of, you know, is America the best country, right? But it, but it segues perfectly into what I wanted to talk about, which is, there is a philosophy 
behind why is it so important to be the first? You know, you know, you don't have you don't you don't have the, the fact that. Wait, hey, Celine, my it. bad, my bad. Yeah. Uh, so your audio is kind of like clipping in and out. I'm mute and I'm mute. Yeah. How's it now? Huh? It's kind of acting like staticky now. No worries. Hold on. Okay, Quick there you go. There you go. I can hear now. Oh, you can hear me now. All right. Yeah. 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 Let's do this. So, um. So yeah, so where, where was I? About the, the philosophy behind why America is the greatest or why America should be the greatest. I think that is more important to break down than, than you know, the statistics themselves. You can argue many different things, right? But and it leads me to a quote. One quote that I remember very distinctly learning and remembering is that it's, it's, a, it's a philosophy where disinterestedness is essential for the pursuit of knowledge. Mm. If, if, you are, if you are very focused on what you know and that's it and that's the right answer then you will never get anywhere else you know if you're just fixated on that disinterestedness being bored being agitated being able to want to know more being able get not just being acclimated and used to one particular thing but growing and moving into different areas is how you can grow is how you understand you think is how those old beliefs that you may have person that you may have believed to be true can be breaking down and disproved it's because right. if you had just constantly been satisfied with that answer, you would have never found the, the correct answer. If there was another one, you would have never found anything else. You know, if, if we, there's so many different things that you can prove analogies of that could be found anywhere in tech, in, you know, in the first person that created a storage device, I have a flash drive right here. This flash, this flash drive holds two gigabytes. The, the person who invented the first storage device, he said that, there, there was a whole, there was a place that was about the big, as big as my room. You can't see it because I have a virtual background and it holded one megabyte of storage. Right. And that man, the man who invented this said that, you know, there's going to be seven of these across the world. And that is going to be enough to hold all of the data in the world until humankind, humankind dies. Right. One megabyte. He believed that that would be, that would be enough storage for, uh, for all the people until they die, you know, or seven megabytes across the world. And this right here holds two gigabytes, two gigabytes. So that's, you know, it's, it's incredible to think about. And, you know, that's why I love that quote, but segueing it back to what I was talking about is, you know, if you can if you, if everyone is constantly striving to be the best, if everyone is thinking why America is the best and promoting why America is good and the things about America that are great, you're never really going to be able to work and fix on the issues that are at hand. And that's why, you know, all those different things of number 25th in education or this or that, whatever that guy was saying, I don't remember the exact numbers or statistics. He was pointing out things that were wrong, pointing out things that could be improved. And I think that is something that I wish a lot of different people in America were able to take. Because you constantly hear America is the best country. America is fantastic. And while I agree 100%. I just told you about how, I, how happy I am for the opportunities I'm able to have in the right. United States. But they are things that are things that are wrong. So if, if you're going to be constantly defending and standing behind this position that we are the best, then you're never ever going to get anywhere else. If that if this man had said one megabyte is enough, then we would never have a two gigabyte flash drive. I'm I'm trying I would like to promote the mindset that if that if you if if you think that we are the best, think about how we can become better. Even if you think that. That way, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, no matter where you are, where you're at, you can constantly improve and you can constantly find things to improve. And I think if, if we are able to do that, that's a unifying factor. And, you know, another quote is, is I, I take this from Mad Men, but it, it totally inapplicable to, to totally different circumstance. But they said that um, 
in the past, in the 1960s, cigarettes were being proven as, you know, this, this horrible thing to do and the new studies and everything like that. And he said, and, you know, cigarette companies were struggling to find a way to advertise because, you know, they can't advertise their, their you know, uh, their clean tip filters or anything like that. All of that was disproven, right, by right. the studies, whatever. They said, but, you know, the main character, Donald Draper, he said, for the first time in history, we have a unifying factor. You know, you don't have to prove anything. All cigarette companies are in the same spot right now, right? So anything you do is a differentiating factor. And it's a very powerful thing about unifying things, unifying concepts, is that if you are able to, if, if you are able to group together a sort of philosophy, a sort of thing that everyone has, you can accomplish great things, fantastic things. That sort of, the fact that you are grouped together gives you strength. The, right. You know, and, and another cheesy quote is that, um, you know, the whole is greater than the individual parts, but it's incredibly true. You know, when you, when you have a mindset that can be given to many different people, great things can be accomplished. If everyone takes the philosophy that even if America is great, even the best or not the best or whatever it is, but there's things to be improved, you can, there, that's, that's the key. That's the sort of thing. If, if everyone believes that, if there's something that can be improved, then we all move forward in the right direction, no that's matter where we are. That's so that, that's why I, I, that's one of the things I always love. And I, you know, I pulled from tons of different things, but that's where I'm at. Right. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's definitely very unique. Um, that's, that's incredible. I actually had one, one guy, uh, shout out to my guy, Knowledge um, Suave. Um, he said he wouldn't change a thing. And, um, and I was like, that's so interesting because um, as much crap that there is, there's no other opportunity and the thing that needs to change is the people mm -hmm. that, that that's where it's at. And once that you and again, it goes to your point, once we have that unifying factor, once we're able to truly understand that at the end of the day, uh, no matter our race, religion, creed, sexuality, like we're what we are, who we are, human beings with souls, um, let's continue to work and run this country. And I really think that our generation is really coming to that. Like our generation right. is definitely pushing that now that we're able to vote. Now we got people like AOC. Now we got people that are just pushing the envelope and they're saying like, no, forget all these, um, these staunch, like, honestly, it's the leadership. Like all these people are too old. <laughs> they're right. old. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're old. And so these old ways and these old people still like, um, are that are still, that are one passing out their old way of thinking. And really, um, taking away any progress is what is one of the factors that that's doing that. And I really love how you were able to break that down. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And now, and, uh, it, that thing about the a lot of the politicians in office are being old is it reminds me of that. You know, I'm sure you've seen the clips of when the tech CEOs go to Congress. Those always crack me up. Where you know, is Facebook stealing your data, or you know, the uh, Sundar Pichai, which is the CEO of Google, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook. It's hilarious, <laughs> you know, coming from a millennial that uses technology a lot, a Gen Z or whatever you want, whatever the term, the correct terminology is, is I use technology a lot. So I, I know a lot of the different answers to those questions, but the, the, it's, it's the questions that they ask are very confusing. You think that these are the people that are making the laws for, for the tech companies and all those sort of things. And they're asking basic questions that you could literally Google as ironic as that is. Right. <laughs> so, um, but man, but man, yeah. I understand what you're saying with that phrase. Absolutely. That's awesome, bro. Oh my gosh. Um, as we get now, it's like, you know, um, we didn't talk for chopping up for a minute. Um, mm -hmm. as we get closer to the end of the show, these are two big questions that I usually ask. Um, my guest, man. My first question is, um, what would you tell, what are three things that you would tell to your, um, senior, no freshman yourself, freshman yourself of high school. 
What are three things that you would tell yourself in high school? All right. So three things I would tell in my freshman year of high school. So obviously one we talked about earlier was uh, reevaluate why you're doing IB. Right. <laughs> That's it. Right. Right. I, I say that not to like uh, sort of rebring up a conversation we had earlier, but because IB was literally one of the biggest things of my high school career. Right. I don't have much to talk about in terms of where I've gone um, because, you know, I'm, you know, being old, a younger individual, it's not like I have years of job experience or career changes that I would advise my younger self about. But two of the things I can advise myself about is high school and college. Right. <laughs> so, and, and IB was a huge part of high school and it, it segued into my college career. So definitely say reevaluate why you're doing IB. Re and, and, uh, broader generalizations of that question would be, reevaluate why you're interested in education, what you're doing education for, what your goals are for with your education. Mm. Um, that would be big questions for, for myself to, to sort of ponder about. Um, the second thing and advice of what it comes to uh, high school relationships is coming out of middle school. Um, one of the things about me, and I touched upon it earlier, was um, both of my parents were, you know, my mom worked at an ice cream shop. My dad owned a bagel shop. So they were private business holders. They worked long hours. Um, I didn't get a lot of attention as a child. That's, I, that's the, the, the lightest way to put it. Uh, is my, both of my parents were incredibly busy all the time. And in middle school, I was the, the very annoying. <laughs> I was very annoying. Um, I, you know, I would be constantly looking out for attention, constantly doing different things, being, you know, pushing myself, you know, in, in terms of trying to reach social groups, trying to be too hard. Too, it was just, I was annoying. <laughs> it's a different way. I, I was very difficult for me to get friends because, frankly, I, I just wasn't a good friend. <laughs> at that time. So, mm. you know, moving into high school, that that's the exact sort of transition. It was between middle school and high school where I sort of worked on myself a lot. And I was really young. So I honestly don't even know what it was, but I think it was just my desire to start fresh and to change and who I was. And, you know, I obviously I was being a certain type of person before that I wanted to develop and grow on. So um, high school and, you know, I, I was I was a much different person. Uh, and I, I was really able to get a lot of different friends and sort of like that. But but, you know, if I was going to give advice on that regard when it came to developing relationships and friends, it would, it would definitely be um, maintain good relations with everyone you meet. Everyone you meet. Absolutely. And that's something I, that's advice I, I followed, but that would be something I would definitely want to reinforce because it's a belief that's gotten me very far. Having that sort of philosophy that, you know, someone that you're nice to in high school will always come back. Always, always, one way or another, or whether it be in high school, whether it be in college, whether it be with your career, being kind is is an incredibly valuable skill to right. have. Right. Um, and you know, an excellent example of this, and I'm I'm actually going to accredit it to a lot of my success is um, whenever I would meet with professionals for my for for my career networking or whatever it is, I would constantly you know send a follow up thank you always just out of tradition just out of good right. habit it's a good thing to have is whenever I had an interview whenever I had this I would send them a follow up and it wouldn't be generic it wouldn't be copy and paste I would literally just spend five minutes of my day saying thank you and you know. I, I met with someone afterwards, after one of my interviews, where it had been a good interview and all those sort of things, um, but they said the, the driving factor behind why they wanted to give me an offer was because I sent that follow-up thank you, and it was personalized, and they, let, they read it, and they were like, all right, he's genuine. No matter what happens, no matter, because I, I was a year younger than a lot of other applicants for that job. I didn't have as much experience in coursework or in, in technical skills, but I had proven myself to be a nice, genuine person that really shined during an interview. And that was enough for them to go, you know, to leap of faith and give me an offer, which I, you know, excelled at. Uh, but it was because I had been kind to every single person I met, 
then that entire process, my recruiter, the person I interviewed with, the person who um, transitioned me to the breakout room for that interviewer, every single person, I had been nice and kind. And that's always been something that has led me to tremendous success. So when you, when you think of how you're using your time with the people you meet, that's, that, that's, that, that's the best value for your time you can get by being kind. Um, so that's advice I would definitely give to my high school self because that's, a, that's the sending follow-up emails and communicating with people after I have done something is a skill that I learned at the college level. And that's not, not something I did continuously through high school. I had been kind to the people I, I met in person and, you know, forefront and, you know, being a courteous person, but sowing my appreciation after having concluded meeting with someone is, is a skill that I've learned recently, which I think is incredibly important. Um, and then the third thing, third thing, man. So what would that be? Third thing I would say is that, like you mentioned, um, in, in not just the Ivy program, but in, let's say in, in high school in general, is there's a lot of comparing that goes on, uh, a lot of comparing in terms of how you're performing or how you're feeling or your schedule or, you know, where, where you want to go, what your ambitions are, all those sort of things. Um, I would say don't compare yourself as a form of success, as a, form, right. as a driving factor for success. Um, I've been a competitive person for as long as I can remember. I, I love healthy competition, all those sort of things. But one of the driving factors for me to succeed in high school was comparing myself to others. Um, and while that may have worked, may not have worked, however you want to look at it, I don't think it was a healthy way of determining my success. Right. I think that there are other driving factors that are more sustainable, that are more healthier practices of being a successful individual. Comparing your success. It's, it's natural thing to do in terms of how your competitors are doing or looking at how others are doing, but, but it's not, it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be the primary thing um, because it, it, you know, it's easy to think negatively. It's either to, it's easier to forget other things when you're, when you're constantly comparing, constantly judge, it's easier to fall into a darker hole of despair right. whenever you don't do well, whenever you're under, and that, that's why it's not sustainable. That's why it's not healthy. I would definitely say as someone that was driven during high school, a, a largely due to that, largely due to the fact that I had a very good schedule. I had been getting good grades. I had been doing well. I, I constantly drove myself to do better and better because I was, I, I, I had this image that I was ahead of the pack. I was doing great. And that's why I should keep going. And if you're doing great, if you're doing excellent things, be, be happy in that, be confident in that, but don't let that get to your head. <laughs> don't let that be the reason why you do more things. The reason why you do more things is because you're passionate because you love those things because you have goals, not because you're constantly trying to be better than anybody else. That is not healthy. That's not right. That's not going to lead you to become the professional you want to be. You, you become a person that you want to be. You be I, I had the goals of becoming some like, like I mentioned, a person like my grandfather who was loved, who has done tremendous things and great accomplishments, but not because I, that man wasn't comparing himself to anyone that man wasn't comparing himself to anyone that, and you know, that's, that's something that I, I had, learned through high school and through college something that I, I definitely embody now not to compare and to help others and to, to to cooperate and do all those sort of things and it's it's been amazing i feel much better doing it feel awesome. just in my heart much better and comfortable not comparing other people but you know focusing on what my goals are and how i can do that so those would be three things that i, I would tell my high school self absolutely that's good that's awesome that's incredible uh, last question yeah. The podcast is what do you want your legacy to be, man? Mm. What do I want my legacy to be? Oh man. So I was actually asked this question um, when I started the program at my school. One of the programs would be 
uh, the, the, the TEDx program and the, and the nonprofit and the community service organization that I help run is when you graduate, what's going to be your legacy on the campus? Are, are, are these initiatives going to continuously run after you leave? Right. right. Um, and my answer with that was technical or technical answer would be like, yeah, we're going to have an established board you know, I'm going to train my successor in, in terms of running the position, all that. And, um, the more open-ended question, the personal question is the legacy yourself, your name, your brand, whatever it be, how is that going to last? And it, it forced me to think, and this is just about my collegiate experience. I'll, I'll talk to a bit more in general, but I wanted to be the, known as the person who people admired because of how much he helped further the success of others. Right. That's, that's something I, I always wanted to be. I didn't want to be the person that was most like, I didn't want to be the most popular person. I didn't want to be the most successful person either. I wanted to be the person that helped the most, like, I always like this quote too, um, which is, I would rather be the person that helps bring 50 people to the finish line than be one of the three people that make it to the stage. I always liked that quote. And I use that quote actually during my internship a lot because I would, I would much rather help people accomplish what they want to do rather than be the best person at doing it. And that, that was, that's a philosophy that I, I always want to incorporate in my legacy. My legacy isn't just for about myself. My legacy is about helping others and helping build what they are and their accomplishments. That is in, in turn my legacy. And whether it be my name isn't, there, there's, there's another famous saying where that there's um, three different ways that you, you die. The first way you die is your physical self. The second way you die is when no one remembers you. And no, the second way you die is when no one says your name. And the third one, is, the, last, the last time someone says your name, and the third one is when no one remembers you. Those are the three different ways you die. Isn't um, that from Coco? I, I remember. I like, think so. Yeah, I, like, think so. I remember like that thing of, like on Coco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I, I I like that. I like that so much because I I think of, you know, you only live for a certain amount of time, right? You you only can do a certain amount of things. But if you help others, and you will be remembered forever, you'll be, and not only that, but what they do because of what you help them do will also exponentially grow over time. Right. So, so I, I don't care too much. This is going to sound so bad. But I don't care too much about my legacy. I right. care about, you know, having helped so many people that they can, you know, ex help others and help others. And in turn, that even if people don't remember my name or who I am, but the effects of what I have done will help people for a long, long time. Right. That's what I, that's why I wanted to be. That's why that, that's who I want to become. Uh, someone that helps people, someone that is known for that. Um, and that, that's hoping because, you know, no matter what it is in my professional career, no matter what, it, whatever I do, whoever I become, while I'm still with my feet on this earth, whether it be the person that people come to for advice, the person that people come to uh, for, for knowledge or for guidance, that sure, I would love to become that person. But when I die and leave my legacy behind, one of the things that I want is to be the person that helped. So I hope that answers your question. That answers it exactly, man. Uh, just last segment of the show. It's called the Speak Life section. Um, and according to my faith, you know, speaking life, you, you can like life or speaking up to people um, can either bring life or death. Um, so here he goes, man. Salim, bro, I'm highly impressed um, by the person that you are, by your leadership skills, by your talents and using your gifts to um, not only let Allah's name to be great, but to let the people around you to be great as well. It is just humbling to know that for at your young age that you are living out dreams that people can will die and dream of. And at the end of the day, that you're not letting that get to your head, but you're using that as a way to fuel to um, truly to inspire other individuals and to help other individuals to be able to um, 
reached that level of self-actualization. Your intelligence is, um, is beyond um, what anyone can imagine, man. And I'm just super grateful just to know you. I'm super grateful just to see you uh, work with you um, uh, closely and afar. And just being able to see, man, like just the way that you continue to carry and move yourself and the way that you're moving up your path, man. Um, I'm rooting for you, bro. And I'm just super glad that, you know, we connect and we cross paths. And I cannot wait for what the future holds, man. So keep it up. Keep up the great work. Um, hope that, you know, that was a good, sufficient way of giving you your flowers now because it's super important to do that, especially for us, us young leaders that are just doing uh, the damn thing, man. So it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege, bro. Yeah, absolutely. And the same goes to me. It's my pleasure to meet you as well, Tanaka. I see all the different things you're doing with your brand and I know you're destined for success. As cheesy as that sounds, people who work hard, people who are passionate and driven, they get to where they want to be no matter what. So, right. you know, I, I have absolute faith in you. You're doing awesome things as well. So thank you for having me. It was my pleasure, sincerely. All right, y'all. That is it for season three, episode two. We are Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure you go watch the podcast on YouTube if you haven't. And make sure you go follow us on IG Campus Cuts Pod and follow us on each and every social media network. Thank you so much for the help. Hopefully that we can get up back to where we were and hope you have a blessed day. Continue to share it, like it, love it, subscribe, and enjoy your time. Peace.